From the beautiful Art House Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My name is Andrew Osinga, and my guest today is Ryan Stevenson. So Ryan is a CCM artist who has written some really fantastic songs. He's a name I've heard for a long time, but we never met until we sat down for this conversation. Uh, We have a a bunch of mutual friends. I've heard uh, from a few different people, man, you have really got to talk to Ryan. He'd be fascinating. You know, I talk to a lot of people who start out in the creative realm and then gradually grow to doing something more stable. His story is the opposite. And uh, I was so curious about that. And uh, man, what a just thoughtful guy. And it was a real delight to get to have this chat. He's got some really great things to say about art and why you'd, why you'd fight to make it. Um, and he definitely fought to do this. And uh, I'm so pleased that people are recognizing his work and that his songs are getting out. Um, that's good. The world needs that. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation and I know you will too. So please enjoy this chat I had with Ryan Stevenson. Can we agree that sometimes life gets hard? Having an outside guiding perspective helps us all get through those times well. We talk about it often on this podcast, so I want to tell you about some friends of mine who provide the perspective and guidance that can help you thrive, especially during difficult or transitional times. Global Counseling Network is their name. Global Counseling Network is not a group of life coaches, professional development people, HR specialists, or self-help specialists. They're more than that. They are the highest quality counselors that join you on the journey of life to provide trusted feedback and counsel. Your Global Counseling Network counselor is available anytime, anywhere, no matter where you are, based on your schedule. I know you have a lot going on, and trying to juggle it all can seem impossible at times. That's why I recommend my friends at Global Counseling Network as a partner to help you navigate life. Reach them now at globalcounselingnetwork.com. That's globalcounselingnetwork.com. Do this for you. New in Nashville is brought to you by the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. Do you ever struggle to understand if your work really matters and how it fits into the grand narrative of life? Well, the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work is asking and answering questions just like this every day through ongoing events, programming, and resources. Join them soon at one of their upcoming summer programs like their five-week Faith and Work 101 course or by applying to Gotham, their flagship nine-month Faith and Work Leadership Intensive. Be sure to use the code THEPIVOT, one word, for a 10% discount on any of their upcoming events and connect with them online at nifw.org. We're literally the exact same age, which is pretty sick. That is, that is nuts, man. Um, okay, so... Like I said, when you first walked in, I, I talked to a number of people who uh, have started out their lives in a creative profession, and then they eventually end up in something more quote-unquote stable. Yeah. You have gone the opposite direction. How old were you when you started doing music professionally? Like getting paid to do music? Like quit your <laughs> job to do music. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, it's not the same thing, right? Well, I got signed to a record company, like a major Christian label, in 2011. Okay, what label was that? Was it... it was called Tooth and Nail, BEC. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was with them for a short stint, but even after I got signed to that label, 
I still continue to work on the ambulance for the next three and a half months. Okay. Yeah. Most people, some people think that you get signed and then you have money. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was not the case. Uh, so I continue to work my normal job. I mean, I was going down the road on 911 calls, driving the ambulance and my songs would come on the radio. And what? <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, so I did it as long as I could. And then when touring opportunities, you know, it kind of took a little bit of time yeah. to, Okay, well, you got a song at radio now. It's getting a little bit of traction. Now there's here's some smaller touring opportunities, and you you got to do it. It's yeah. like you can't uh, you got to kind of make a decision. And so I did the both as long as I could until I had exhausted all of my sick time, all of my vacation time, and I knew that I was gonna. I was just at a crossroads. I'm either going to continue. Um, kind of trying to make the both work, which I couldn't. Being a paramedic is not something that you can keep one foot in and one foot out of. Yeah. You cannot you be a approach. part-time paramedic. No way. You cannot approach the paramedic world cavalierly. I mean, people... It's just not, it's just not built yeah. that way. Because there's so much at stake. There's so much liability. There's so much pharmacology and pathophysiology, toxicology... Uh, disease processes, uh, interventions, treatments that you that you have to, you know, the continuing education that we have to go through all the time to make mm. sure we're up to date on all of our skills and assessments and cardiac dys dysrhythmias. If you slip and slide on that stuff, you can wind up in really big trouble yeah. and people can die. And so I just knew my heart is going in this other direction with my music and I really want to do that full time. And so I just made the decision, okay, here we go. I can't do the both anymore. And you were 31 years old. And I was 31. I lived a lot of life before all okay, of Okay, well, tell me about that life. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a small farming town called Bonanza, Oregon. Oh, that's um, so awesome. Surrounded by alfalfa fields and grain and wheat in the nestled in the south central foothills of the cascade range in the pacific northwest beautiful beautiful area there was 400 less than 400 people in my town really yeah really small i graduated with 52 kids in my high school um in the whole high school in in my class in your class um, public school public school went to public school went to the same school kindergarten through 12th grade no way that's awesome. And went same kids my entire life. Yeah. So it's like the kids in my class I'd grown up with since we like were like whoever you are in kindergarten is yep. who you are. That's who you're with. That's who you're gonna be. Um grew up in Bonanza and uh I grew up in the church. We grew up we went to this little little community church right next door to our house. Um my mom and dad, you know, were married for thirty six years. Um and you know, it's, it's, I always, I don't want to try to ever present my life like it was, it was tough, but there was definitely elements of my childhood, um, that were just really difficult and, and tormenting. Uh, I, I grew up in a, in an area where there's a lot of wealthy landowners and cattle farmers oh, and yeah. ranchers and big business mogul people. And I went to school with their kids. So they lived there. They didn't, so they they didn't own there. them and live in Houston. They lived there. No, they lived there. there. We, we were surrounded by massive dairy farms and ranches. So you are either one of those kids that belong mm -hmm. to one of those families or you're one of the others. You're one of the workers. You're one of the commoners. And I, you know, 
I grew up pretty poor. We lived in a single wide mobile home trailer, less than a thousand square feet. And, Hmm. uh, I just, I always remember being super aware, even at a young age that, um, I just felt like less than all, cause my, my friends would come to school wearing Air Jordans, you know, and, and I would come to school wearing Payless Velcros. Dude, I had the exact same experience in Illinois. It was, it was. Jordans specifically. It was hard. Yeah. And, and that never changed. Like the older mm-hmm. that we got, the, the it compounded. Really? And uh, so I kind of grew up and then I kind of grew up just already feeling kind of like an outcast. When I hit the seventh grade, I came back for junior high and it was like a massive turning point in my life. Uh, I, all my friends, all my buddies, all my best friends all started to like hit puberty and grow and develop into men and you know, and I didn't. And so I, I was this extremely late bloomer kid. I didn't, I didn't hit my pubescent growth spurt, if you will, till my freshman year in college. So I stayed, I stayed the body of a sixth grade little boy all through high school. You're kidding. It was, it was torturous. (laughs) And, uh, so you can imagine being a sixth grade little boy, like trying to play football with my homies and like just not growing and, and being the brunt of everybody's jokes and torment. And, um, it just, it, it really fed this massive chasm of identity complex mm. and insecurity. It just birthed it in me that year. And it just trickled. I mean, I, I trickled that right into my adult life. Um, when I graduated from high school, um, you know, and I was, I, I always loved to play sports, but I would just could never compete because I was just small and super, you know, chunky and chubby and kind of fat and um, had to get glasses when I was 15. And oh man, it was just, it was crazy. It was before glasses. Yeah, it was before cool. glasses were actually <laughs> there a cool were no thing to do. Cool options. <laughs> There's no cool glasses, glasses in 1990. Uh, and so um, I went to college. My freshman year of college, I went to school in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. And I originally went up there. I was going to go to the University of Oregon and get a degree in pre-med because I really wanted to be a doctor. Um, but when I got there, I realized pretty quickly, like, um, I was away from mommy and daddy for the first time. And I had just grown Like I finally hit my growth spurt into manhood and I was away from my parents. I was away from the shelter and the umbrella of the church. And like, I didn't walk away from the Lord, but I just kind of cut loose. And I just, there was just holes in my life that I wanted to fill. Um, And so I just kind of went buck wild for my first two terms of college and almost got kicked out of school my freshman year. So needless to say, I didn't go down the path of the medical field at that point. Yeah. Um, by the time it was time for me to declare my major, my junior year, um, I was so far behind. My academic advisor finally came to me and he's like, Hey, so you got to declare your major now. And I'm like, well, it's pre-med, you know, he's like, no, (laughs) (laughs) no. Like you haven't even taken a biology class, Ryan. You haven't taken anatomy. You haven't taken chemistry. Like, what have you been, he's looking at my transcripts, like, what have you been doing the last two years? I'm like, well, I've been taking contemporary women poets and Old Testament, and uh, i just been goofing off. And um, so long story short, 
I got my degree. I got in and out of college miraculously in four years and got mm-hmm. my bachelor's degree in education. Did student teaching the whole nine yards. Was and the thought then you're going to go be a teacher? Yeah. I'm like, well, I'll be a teacher, you know. Teach and, what? Elementary school, like maybe first grade. I don't know. I just wanted to get out of college. And yeah. I wanted a degree under my belt, even knowing that it wasn't something that I ultimately wanted to do. Hmm. Um, and sure enough, man, when I got out and I got my first job teaching kindergarten, my first year out of school, and it was it was awesome. It was lovely. But then my second year, I got a job teaching high school. And I'm here I am 22 years old teaching 18-year-olds Spanish. That's a huge jump. I mean... Oh, kindergarten to high seniors in high school. Yeah. Cause I got a job at a private school and they kind of needed this utility type teacher that could teach all these things. Okay. So they just threw me in there. They're like, Hey, we're going to hire you. We want you to teach seventh grade math, eighth grade, uh, science, ninth grade writing in English, 10th and 11th grade Spanish one and two. And we want you to be the track (laughs) coach and a PE teacher. insane so needless to say that one year teaching in an actual like high school setting Mm -hmm. chewed me up and spit me out yeah and immediately that would spit anybody out i mean that's that's not and i found myself there was kids in my class that i had grown up with my whole life really yeah you went back to i went back to my old hometown in southern oregon and tell you what uh being 22 years old and still feeling like a kid doing parent-teacher conferences with the parents of the kids that I grew up with and having to sit across from, like, people that feel like my mom and dad. It was brutal. (laughs) And they're like, Ryan, you're a joke. You're not a good teacher. I mean, I just – and I knew it. Um, So at that stage, it's kind of like what led us – my wife – my wife and I met in Eugene, Oregon, when she came in as a freshman in college. She's from Boise, Idaho. Okay. And so, which is kind of a big city in comparison. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's the biggest thing I'd ever seen. So we moved from Southern Oregon over to Boise to be a little bit closer to her family. Okay. And how far is Boise, Idaho from? From my house, six hours. Okay. Yeah. And it's just, Boise just sits over the Oregon border. So it's not like it's out East. It's definitely like right there in the Northwest. Um, It's gorgeous. It's amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful town. I always say Boise, Idaho is literally America's best kept secret. It's Mm. just so, so nice. Uh, We moved over there and we ended up staying there for the next 13 years. Uh, And right when I got back over there, right when we moved there, I immediately, I was like, okay, I got to get my act together. And I know I'm not going to teach anymore. I hate it. So I'm going to go actually get what I set out to do. So I got, I went to school for two years, pretty much full time, uh, and got my license in the state of Idaho as a paramedic. So what, okay. So what led you to wanting to be a doctor in the first place? Uh, just because I always has had always loved the medical field. Hmm. Um, I did like, uh, for my senior project, um, graduating from high school, I did, a some rounds and some rotations up at the hospital, Really? Uh, yep. And I just, I just fell in love with it. And I just loved seeing how medicine helped people. Yeah. And these, these cool interventions could literally like just change people's lives. It was just fascinating to me and learning about the body and how, how we work, how our body works physiologically at cellular levels and all the chemistry that goes into all that was, I just loved it. I loved the science of it. Hmm. 
Now, there are like a million different things you could do in the medical field. Why a paramedic? Because I liked I liked the element of being in an uncontrolled environment where everything you see is going to be different. Like it wasn't this controlled hospital setting on a floor and you're just, you know, changing bedpans and wiping bottoms all day or whatever. It was like, okay, we're out on the streets, like ground zero. You were an ambulance paramedic. Yes. I was a managed a frontline 911 city, busy city system ambulance. And just, I was sometimes the senior paramedic on scene and was in charge of the whole thing. And like, uh, it was, it was my call. Yeah. Mm. Did you enjoy that? I loved it. You loved it? I loved it until about year seven. Okay. How long did you do it? Eight years. Okay. Yep. You probably saw some crazy things. Yes. <laughs> like, are there any, like, fun crazy things that you saw? Um, I know there were probably a lot of tragic crazy things. There's but... a lot of tragic crazy things. A lot of things that I'll, you know, never forget. Um I think some of the funnest ones were when, you know, we're delivering babies in the crazy places. And What's the craziest place you've ever uh, delivered a baby? A bathtub in some girl's house, you know, <laughs> um, who swears she didn't know she was pregnant. What? Uh, no. <laughs> That's not yeah. possible. Uh, I know. Amazing. Crazy stuff, man. I mean, I, we could do a whole one of these I podcasts would, just on ambulance calls. I would love calls. to do that. <laughs> Okay, so you look for seven years. You love this. You guys are married. Um, what is she doing? Is she my wife's a loan officer? So her her she went to college to get a degree in business and management. Um, she quit school really early on. It just wasn't her thing. And we got married, and she got a job working at a bank. Mm-hmm. And then when we moved over to Idaho, she got a great job working at a big credit union as a loan officer. Her okay. her whole background is in finance and all that. So I worked as a paramedic all those years. She worked as a loan officer all those years. So what are those, and like, what are those hours for you? Are you guys seeing each other a lot? Yeah, you... so I worked two 24-hour shifts. So I only worked two days a week. Wow. And I busted out 48 hours back to back. So I had five days off every week. Wow. And, and So but, you would be up for 24 straight hours. Yeah, totally. So I would come home and, you know, kind of crash out a little bit and rest and then you know, when she would get home at five o'clock, we'd have our evenings to chill together. We'd yeah. have the weekends to hang out together. Um, you know, we got super involved at in our church. I helped plan a church out there. Hmm. I led worship every single Sunday for years and years and years and years. Um, we just had this super kind of low risk, comfortable, double income, no kid kind of existence for a long time. Yeah. But now you don't. No. So, yeah, (laughs) we got pregnant. uh, We got pregnant as I was starting. um, My wife gave birth to our first son right after I got signed to BEC. Okay. A lot happened before... That, so you so you've been you you were a paramedic, paramedic for seven years and loved it, and then at seven years you went, I'm not into this anymore. Yeah. Why? It was just it. I my I'll tell you why because it just it started taking such a toll on me seeing seeing uh, not even seeing death. I got really used to seeing people die, mm. <laughs> as as morbid as that sounds. I got I got. Um, 
the thing that started to really get to me was the addiction and the drug world side of that and the, the domestic kind of abuse and the, the dark, evil, heavy, demonic elements of sex crimes and kidnappings and trafficking. Like that whole world is so present. And you would see the worst of it. And we would get 911 calls when they would find girls who had been held hostage and, and oh you know, God. guy crusty old guys making videotapes. And, like, it was just – it really – it got at me, you know, it's like, this is real. I can't believe I'm seeing this. And after, after a while, it's like, I just kind of remember I went home one day and I just started to become so calloused Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm a really sensitive, merciful, just, I wear my feelings out on my sleeve. And I, I went home one day and my wife was like, you are literally turning into a jerk. Like, I just don't, I don't she didn't say jerk, but I just don't really know you. I don't I don't even know this person you're becoming and you're just not gracious anymore and you're short and your your temper and blah blah. I mean, she just went on and on. I go, I know, I know, trust me. Mm-hmm. And I just knew like, okay, I need a change. And I literally begin to pray, Lord, uh and this whole time. All these years, I've been working two days a week, but I've been going out and playing music for the other five. Really? Just kind of slowly cultivating my own little... Writing your own songs. Writing my own songs, going and playing little coffee shops and conferences and camps. And 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 any event that would even let me in, I would go do that. I did that for years. And I found that, well, when I would go play one event, it would turn into like two or three more. One would I would get invited. So I'm like, oh, well, maybe I actually can do this. I'm getting invited back, which was kind of like a a good sign, a gauge of, okay, well, maybe I've got something to say on my own. Um, Long story short, I, I really begin to pray. And I said, Lord, you either need to, you either need to just completely just remove this whole music desire from me altogether, or just give me such contentment in this paramedic world and give me the strength to do it. And, and whatever you want. I mean, I just, I give it up. I, I lay this whole thing down at your feet because I hadn't before that. I'd never, ever surrendered any of that. It was like a turning point in my life. Mm. And it was, sure enough, like right after I said, Lord, whatever you need to do to just break through in my life, just do it. And he He really immediately began to, to answer those prayers. Um, and what did that look like? I... <laughs> Not the way I thought it was going to. Um, I ended up going on a call, a nine one one call, where a I was the par I was the senior I was the paramedic in charge of that call. It was my call, and it wasn't even supposed to be our call. It got dispatched to another ambulance, but I knew the area and I knew we were way closer, so we jumped it. I was like, "Nah, we'll we'll take that. The other unit can stand down." Came out as a lightning strike, and sure enough. Uh, this lady, she was 40 years old or so. Uh, her and her two little boys and her mom were out hiking up in the foothills just north of town. They were looking at property to buy. They wanted to build a house and buy some property, build a house up in the hills, kind of overlooking the valley up in Boise. And this freak storm comes out of nowhere. They bo- they all start running back to the car, you know, oh, we're going to get wet, you know, and they start hoofing it back to the suburban and they hear this boom. And just this massive explosion, sure enough, lightning 
zapped her right in the top of the head and just killed her. Um, oh my God. The mom, the grandma, loaded up the two little boys, drove a mile down the road, and called that come to the first house she could, called 911, drove a mile back. By the time we got there, we were about 10 minutes out or so, which is typically a good amount past your window of being effective at all in kind of, you know, CPR and resuscitation. Yeah. And I just, I, I remember kind of thinking, well, she's not going to make it. She was burned real bad, just smoldering in the grass. And it's like, let's just, we don't, I don't want to leave her here, obviously, in front of her kids. Let's put her in the ambulance and let's just drive to the hospital. So I put a tube in her lungs, got some IVs going. We started doing really good CPR. I was breathing for her and we revived her in the back of the ambulance on the way to the hospital. She, long story short, she ends up making a full recovery. She survives. Really? Complete, complete miracle. She's in rehab for about 11 months or so. Um, but with it. And about a year later, her and I met up hmm. at a banquet <clears throat> that was like showcasing the biggest noteworthy calls from the from the year before. Really? Matt Lauer from the Today Show was flying out to Boise to interview her. She was on the Today Show. She was on Larry King. It was this massive national story of survival. So I guess that doesn't happen very often. But nothing was ever said about the paramedic. Really? It was just about her survival. And so, um, which, that's fine, you know? And I mm -hmm. it literally, like, just, I didn't even think about that. Um, but when we had met up, the more she got to know me and know my family, she was like, man, there's this, there's just something more to you than what you're doing now. And she's not a believer. She's not in the church. She, she made it very clear from the get go. Like she was not wants nothing to do with anything spiritual or Jesus or God or Christianity. Um, she was super abused by religion growing up. And, uh, so she's just, yeah. It's super distasteful to her, but she just loves me and she just wants to support me. She's like, man, if I can ever help you, how can I ever help you? Just let me know. I'm like, okay. Right before her and I had this conversation, I'm, I'm putting some pieces together here. Sure. Right before I had this conversation with her about a, two months before that, this guy calls me up and he's like, Hey Ryan, I'm, I'm doing this battle of the bands thing at the Idaho State Fair. And I need 10 bands and I have nine. And if I don't have 10 bands by four o'clock today, they're not going to let me do it. Will you please help me? Will you just come and play, enter this thing so I can at least, so these other guys can play? Yeah. I'm like, and I, I was like, no, man, like I'm not. I've, I think I'm kind of a big deal, you know? Like, I'm mm -hmm. not going to come play the horse gazebo at 3 <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> where there's nobody, you know? I, I'm above that. And yeah, the horse gazebo The horse Idaho. gazebo with all the wood chips, Amazing. you know? Like, it just was not uh, this prestigious setting to be at where I felt like I had arrived, obviously. And I just, this still small voice was like, get over yourself, get off your high horse. Um, I, you need to do this. Yeah. So I was like, oh, fine, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll help you, Ron. So I went and did that and I ended up winning the whole thing. And the, and the grand prize was a thousand dollars and studio time at this one studio. Mm -hmm. 
And I'd been wanting to get into that studio forever. I just never had any money. Well, mm. this got me my foot in and could I could record one song. So when this whole lightning strike thing went down and she's like, hey, how can I help you? I said, honestly, it feels weird for me even asking, but I just, I have this opportunity. Like these guys, I just won this thing. It got me studio time at this dope studio that I, that I've always wanted to get into. Like, I can't just go in my room anymore and cut a demo on a four track. Like those days are long gone. I need to record. And I've been writing songs for 10 years. I have write pop songs. Yeah. Pop songs. Yeah. Those aren't. And, production. Yeah. And like I have this arsenal of songs, but I have five that I think are pretty good that I could that I could actually shop around and, and kind of make my presence known. Maybe she's like, well, what do you need to do? I was like, well, I just I have this much and I need this much. And literally without question, that lady that I had saved on the ambulance wrote me a check <laughs> for like four four thousand dollars. <laughs> And sent me to this recording studio, and I took that little EP and sent it to the label. And like that afternoon, they were already reaching out to me saying they wanted to work with really, me. Really? It was that fast? It was really quick. I've worked at a label. It doesn't happen that it's fast. It's never that fast. And I had sent them stuff over the years, and it was always like, nah. Nah. Okay. So you had a kind of a relationship with yep. them at some point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and this was your 31 at this point? 30. 30, 31. 30, 30 years old, 31. Okay, so this is so you sign a deal, mm-hmm. but you keep doing the ambulance gig. But I keep working. So on did the they ambulance. just release the EP that they, you had recorded? Yep. So they licensed it. Oh, nice. And they worked a single to CHR Radio. Got it. And so that's the song you heard when you were. Yep. So I'm driving down listening to Air One, and my first song, Yesterday, Today, Forever, comes on. Like, oh my gosh, I've made it. <laughs> that's got to be a pretty cool thing. It was amazing. And all my coworkers were like, it was like the talk of the town, like, Ryan, this paramedic is like on air one. Like, yeah. It was just crazy. But you're still doing. But I'm still like, I knew, well, I can't just quit. Like we have a mortgage and I have a yeah. child now. And so I just had, I knew that I had to keep going until something changed. Okay. So what changed when, when you decided to quit the ambulance? Nothing. A big decision. Nothing changed. Nothing I changed. just knew that I had to make that decision. Because it was, I was going to have to either turn down touring opportunities to actually help me grow in that. Yeah. Or I was going to have to just stick with the paramedic thing and basically shut my music career off after I had just gotten this huge opportunity. Yeah. So we just, we jumped. My wife and I say all the time, we literally jumped off the cliff together, holding hands. Just wow. And we ended up uh, living off of her 401k for like the next three years. Like we just didn't have any money. We yeah. just broke. And then 10 months into that deal, I got dropped. 10 months <gasps> in? Oh, yeah. dude. It was really fast. That's so fast. So had they released anything else? They released one more song after that, and it just didn't do anything. And so it was just like immediately, yeah, we're dropping you today. And oh, my god. Good luck. So Okay, so I, I got dropped from my first deal. I was, I was 22, 21 or 22, single. No, you know. And it was... It destroyed me, mm-hmm. and I had, didn't have anything to lose. <laughs> what was that like? Dark. It was, I was, I mean, it's something that I talk about at my shows all the time, at my concerts. Like, mm. that period of time was the darkest it's ever been for me. And right when that, like, my mom had just died right before oh, that. wow. Um, And my wife, 
uh, we had our one year, we had our, we had a one year old little boy. He was probably eight months old at the time. He wasn't even that old. And my wife was pregnant with our twins. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like all this. And I'm not talking, this wasn't like this huge window of time. This was like this one. So that all happened. It was just, just like. Stacked up. Boom, dude. Um, I got dropped from the label. Um, my mom got bone cancer and just died. And my mom was young, you know. I mean, mm. it wasn't like she was just old and unhealthy. It was like she got cancer. She got breast cancer, went right into her bones. She fought it for a while and then just got her. So I'm that's so all happening. Sorry. That was all happening at this point in time. And then, like, my wife, um, I was on tour and getting ready to go do a, a concert here in a few hours. And my wife calls me and she's like, hey, <clears throat> I went in. I knew she was going in that day to get a checkup and find out like what, the, how the twins were doing and literally find out what they were. And she's like, there's no heartbeats on the twins today. I'm going to lose them. I have to get them taken out tomorrow morning. I have to get what's called a DNC. And where are you? And I'm in Houston, Texas in a van pulling a trailer with a bunch of crusty musicians. Like we're just exhausted and this is all happening and I don't have any money. We're living off of her 401k. We have no income. I'm out playing for merch. <laughs> and I'm providing the van because that was my buy-on for the tour. I mean, it was just like one thing after Did you the get other. up to Idaho? Uh, I finished the tour. Okay. There was like two days left. And right, and like a day after that, the label called me and they're like, hey, we're dropping you today. We're not going to move on anymore. So it was just like, okay, that's it. Like, I've literally lost everything. I've failed. My life is over. And how am I going to call my wife today and tell her, after knowing what she's going through at home right now with the twins, how am I going to call her and tell her that, oh, by the way, I just lost my record deal. And I have no idea what we're going to do. Long story short, I ended up having enough money to put diesel in the van to drive from Houston, Texas, back to Idaho. I just busted it out straight through. Got home, went and got my paramedic job back, <laughs> which was humiliating because less than a year. You've been the dude who'd had the song on the yeah, radio. I'm kind of a big deal, and and less than a year ago, I had just quit uh, because I'm going to go off and be a rock star. And they're like, "Yeah, you can have your job back, but we're not going to put you on full time. You can basically be a PRN, and we'll page you in their shifts, basically. So you're that, a sub that nobody wants to work." So I was working like race car standbys, concert standbys, weekend shifts on a Sunday night shift, like just, I mean, it was dark. And, um, but right about that time I had just written this song called Speak Life. Mm. And I was just like, well, I'm just, even in all of that, in all of that, when all this was boiling down and I felt like my life was over, I still felt the Lord say, I've still got you. I'm not, I've not overlooked you. I've not forgotten about you. I'm still paying attention to the details of your life. The people who you were aligned with before is not who I want you aligned with long-term. This was, this was a, uh, this was just a season. And I just want you to keep writing songs and call, just make calls. So for the next year and a half, I was completely independent again. No manager, no booking agent, no label. 
I got on the phone and cold called churches and booked myself like 120 shows just on my own, playing for love offerings and acoustic guitar, renegade style. And I just went and did that. And during that time, like, uh, I started working on a little independent record. Um, and one of those first songs that I recorded was a song called Speak Life. And I recorded it here in, in Franklin. Mm. Um, and which kind of that whole season just sparked this season that I'm in now. Because that song became a... How did Toby hear that song? So I, was I with, know this song, I mean, it was, it was a big Toby Mac hit. My daughter loves that song. Yeah. It just sort of has it on a little iPod and bounces around to it in her bedroom and singing it into her hairbrush. Man, it's it's crazy how that all happened. So when I got dropped and I knew like, well, I'm, I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to give up because I'm not a quitter. You know, I sulked for a little bit. and <laughs> But not being a quitter, I mean, that's... yeah. It doesn't matter if you're not a quitter at some point. It's, I mean, when you get that much against you, totally. I mean, it's just, it was devastating. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, obviously I'm fighting a battle that I'm not going to win. Hmm. And, and I would hear, you know, uh, I would just hear people whispering around town and stuff. And it really got to me. Mm. Um, like, you know, the, somebody already tried something with him. He was already on a label and it didn't work. So, you know, um, so I started my, a buddy of mine set up a co-write for me and it popped up on my Google calendar. I just happened to be um, in Franklin and it said co-write with this producer writer in town. I'm like, nah, I'm not doing it. And I just sat there and it was like, again, that still small voice that I always call it like my nudge. It was like, don't cancel this. So I called him back. I was like, hey, don't cancel. I'm going to come do this thing. We'll come to find out he had just canceled on me. Hmm. but his publisher was in the building and saying, Hey, he's on his way here right now. Like don't cancel on, don't cancel on him. So we ended up, I walked in the door and he's like, Hey, like, Hey, he's like, come on back. So we went back to his neither room. Neither of us want to do this. Yeah. Right neither now. of us. Exactly. You know, man, we're like, Hey, yeah, that's, I got that. Yeah. That record on the wall right there was one of those. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, well, what do you want to work on today, man? I'm like, well, I just started this song. I've got this concept. I got this title. I've been working on this tune. It just talks about how powerful our words are. And it's called Speak Life. And he's like, cool. Well, let's show me what you got. So we just started plucking around and mm -hmm. we wrote Speak Life in like 20 minutes. Mm. Quick. And we just looked at each other and we just knew, oh, like something, like we click and something's yeah. really special here. And he's like, let's go get lunch. We'll come back and work on this. And like by the end of the day, we had this whole version of Speak Life. I didn't even know where I was. I didn't know the bill. I just knew the address of the building. Mm -hmm. Well, Toby owns that building. Yeah. And he was in there at that same time, the same window of time, working on his record called Eye On It. Mm -hmm. So when I went back home, Toby was coming in working on his project. And Jamie, the producer and the co-writer, he was like, Toby, listen to this. Listen to this, these songs. Like, listen to this guy. And so I think Toby, the more Toby heard what we were working on, and he particularly Speak Life, Toby definitely um, immediately loved Speak Life. And Toby, had, I mean, if he were sitting right here, he would just say he had, he had kind of had this inspiration and these thoughts about doing a song about uh, how powerful our words are. He had this whole other piece of inspiration that just like married it together. Mm. And so we ended up 
writing it together, collaborating. Jamie so he took the song you guys so had he and took he and, added his own. Yeah, kind of... and he just kind of brought in this whole other piece and took it from here. That was a big song. To That's here. a good song. Thanks, man. That's a really. You hear a lot of songs that are big on Christian radio that sometimes you're like, eh, <laughs> you know. But that one's that one's real. It was that one really, is really special. Powerful. Man. It was really special, and that that was kind of when my world collided with Toby's, and. Um, even then, I really wanted to be on Goatee, but we were talking to every label in town, mm-hmm. which is Toby's label. Yeah, Toby. Yeah, Toby's label is called Goatee Records, and I really wanted to be there. I mean, like if I had one label in my life that mm-hmm. I could ever be like, I'm on that label, it would have been Goatee. It's just like that boutique kind of renegade, mm-hmm. you know, the abstract people of the business, but they're just dope and they can just kind of do what they want and say what they want, and the team supports that. Like that was my, that's my jam. And, but even they weren't like, oh yeah, we want to sign you. It was like, well, we love, we love all your music, Ryan, but we just signed two bands and we're a small team. There's only four people that work there. Yeah. So we kind of, we kind of just need to see where the team is at collectively and if we can get engaged or not. And that was kind of my like, well, that's kind of a subtle no. Yeah. You're not telling me no. So I'll just kind of hold out. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, you're still a part-time paramedic. Meanwhile, I'm still working as a paramedic and Going out and doing little cold calling shows for love offerings, getting $14 a pop at a Lutheran church Ooh. in a strip mall, and living off my wife's retirement and exhausting our finances and barely paying our mortgage, barely eking by, having to sell vehicles. I mean, it was it was really thin, really tough. And every label in town here was like, man, we... I could, because Speak Life had happened and they knew that I had written that, everybody would take a meeting with me. Sure. But they're like, oh, well, you don't want to just write songs. You want to be how an old? Art- you want to be an artist? Yeah. You're 32. You're tall and white and pasty and redheaded, you know? Like, <laughs> you just don't, you don't, you're not star quality, man. Like, and I know that, trust me. I'm very aware of what I look like. And... <laughs> And you can only hear, you can only hear so many times. Like, man, we love these songs, but no. Yeah. Uh, we love these are radio hits, but no. Yeah. Oh man, we love this, but no. Yeah, that's more demoralizing than we don't like this at all. Yeah, exactly. It's like there's a glimmer of hope, but you understand. Well, you're the problem. We love the music. It's you. And I heard this. I heard this comment one day from a major label here in town. Um. And. It was just like, well, we just know, look, I'm just going to shoot straight with you, Ryan. I love your songs and I love your music and these are hits. You're just not going to stand out in this industry amongst Brandon Heath and Chris August. I mean, I remember those exact words are etched Mm. in my mind and you're going to be perceived as damaged goods around here. That is just a fact. You know, you've been on a label and somebody's already tried something with you and it didn't work. So people are, everybody's going to be hesitant. Meanwhile, you're like, or at least, two, you know, an EP was 10 months. Yeah. It's like, I really didn't even get a chance. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm literally limping around, you know, trying to recover from all this. But even in the, even through all that, that still just kind of still small voice in the back of my mind. Like, I've still got you. I've still got you. It's Okay. And losing hope like you wouldn't believe. 
after every label in town had said no and I knew it was okay, it's over. Yeah. I'm I'm really just gonna like be a paramedic forever and that's it. Um Goatee calls me one day and there was another label, a little independent label that had reached out to me and they're like, Ryan, we love you. We'll send you I'll send you a deal today. We are huge fans of you. We would love to work with you. And I'm like, okay. I was like, I appreciate that, man. I'm honored to hear that. I said, give me, can I have like a day? And they're like, yeah, take your time, whatever you need. And so I had never really heard officially from Joey, who owns and runs Goatee, who's one of my dearest friends in the world now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey, I had never really heard from him that, no, we're passing so on. It's always been like a. It's always been like kind of yeah, looming. So uh, maybe yeah, yeah, we yeah. just gotta see. So I just called him up. I'm like, Joey, I have to know. I mean, I was desperate. I was like, I need to know now. Like it's been months. I have to make some decisions. I I have to. I've got a wife and kid, and like I can't just. I can't wait to see if you guys are getting engaged or not. And I know that sounds like I'm on my high horse. I'm just. I'm. I'm slipping. And Joey, I was literally mowing my grass in the backyard. And uh, Joey's like, yeah, you know, I. I, You're on the phone mowing? On the phone. And I stopped. I stopped my lawnmower and I just sat down under the tree. (laughs) And he's like, well, honestly, bud, I I was going to call you today. And I I thought I was going to have a much different conversation with you today. He's like, I really... It was, it was making me sick in my stomach. I thought I was going to have to call you and tell you that that we can't work together. He's like, but a few hours ago, Toby called me from his car and said, if we miss Ryan, we're going to miss something really special. I mm. believe in him. I'm banking on him that he can write songs no matter what. So whatever we got to do to make it work, let's do it. I don't care what we have to do. We we can't miss him. I believe in him. And so literally, like, that's why I'm just, I'd lay down in front of traffic for Toby. Hmm. Like, he just came along at a moment when nobody wanted a thing to do with me. I was damaged goods. I'm the old dinosaur-looking guy who has failed and is underneath a mountain of shame and and just heaviness. And here comes this guy that I've kind of, grown up on since DC Talk since I was in junior high. Oh, yeah. And I've just loved his music. He's been a massive inspiration my whole life. And now this guy is stepping into my world saying, I believe in you. Let me pick you up out of the rubble and let's go. Hmm. And it changed my entire world. And so here... So how quickly did things move at that point? Not fast. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, even, even after being on Goatee... It took, it took years. It took like good two or three years. Uh, I was five singles in and typically. On that record that really. So I was five singles in on at Goatee. And typically like I would, I could probably confidently say any other label in town you get two singles, oh. maybe three. Oh, if hit something's... records, hit, hit, hit records, you go, I can't believe we're going to try number four. Yeah, if if something is not clicking pretty quickly after the second or the oh, third, it's, done. it's you're done, though. Well, my fifth single on Goatee, 
And I remember, dude, uh, kind of at that point, I was like, man, I have, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. I'm writing the music that I know how to write that is in my heart. I'm saying the things that I feel like I need to say. And I, I'm barking at the door. And you're of, probably touring. I'm touring heavy. With Goatee's endorsement I'm, now you're able to do. Yeah, I'm touring with Toby. I'm on My my managers are the same managers of the Newsboys, so I'm in that camp. So I'm I'm out on tour with the Newsboys. I'm out on tour with Toby Mack. Like, I'm on these major so tours. In front of huge crowds. In front of full arenas. Thousands of people a night. And still, like, Christian radio uh, is super hesitant about me. It's like I've been barking at the door all these years. I'm like, nah, it's just not, not there. So finally, after my my fifth single, was a song called "Eye of the Storm," and we almost like, we almost didn't even put that out. Like it was just like a filler on the record, mm. and uh, I was like, well, I don't know what else to do. So if this doesn't work, that's pretty much it for me. Yeah. So we're like, okay, let's we're gonna do "Eye of the Storm," and the whole story, like how "Eye of the Storm" happened, was even as crazy and unconventional as my story as a whole, you know? Really? Well, I mean, so, I'm sure you're probably sick of telling the story. No, but. no. It's like when we were working on my record called Fresh Start, we were done with the record. And my A&R came in at the last moment and he's like, Ryan, I just, you know, you got room for one more song on your record. Why don't you just say, put something on there. Just say what, don't, we know that you have all your radio singles. So don't worry about writing for Christian radio. This song, whatever, it'll never go to Christian radio. So just don't even worry about that. Just do something you think Just do is something fun. that you want to say. Whatever. I'm like, well, that should be easy enough. So we wrote Eye of the Storm literally in like a half hour. And we had had some working pieces of it, but we really just knocked you it out. kind of took the things that were laying around on the floor and went, let's, let's make let's something out of these. Let's just do something with that. And yeah. we wrote Eye of the Storm because it was so easy for me without any fear of radio. It was easy for me to dip into my my past and my time as a paramedic mm-hmm. and seeing people's brokenness and seeing I mean, you talk about like addiction in that song. You talk about, yeah, like you... Losing it your gets child. A little, like, it's a little more intense. Than, yeah. And what I found very quickly... Uh, was that it just poked a chord with everyone. And it wasn't a radio single, and I was just out on tour playing it with an acoustic guitar, and everybody would flood my table after these shows. And like, that last song you played, what was the name of that last song you played, that oh. Storm thing? I'm like, oh, well, it's a song called Eye of the Storm. It's on that record right there. It's the last song on the album. So the label is back home here in Nashville, and they're tracking my digital track sales. And they see this random song, Eye of the Storm, like yeah. up at number one, getting all these crazy downloads. And like, what is going on? I'm like, well, I'm the only thing I'm doing different is I'm just playing it live at the end of my set. So they're like, wow, that's so we and all that's noticed to drive that. We knew well, that it was the same reactive. stories like Cheryl Crow's All I Want to Do. Her first single was that, too. It was like a hidden track on her yeah. first record that was that became her big hit. Yeah. I love stories like that. So because people get to know you is not the, the you that is trying to put on a face to get make radio like you, but they're getting to like the thing that you actually care about. Get mm-hmm. to know you as an artist. Totally, man. That's great. That's great. Okay, so so that song is a huge hit. It's, I mean, that year, it's one of the biggest songs in that whole genre. It was the biggest. It was the biggest song. Yeah. Okay, so now you're at this place where you've got a hit record after all of this that you've been through, 
what does that year look like of your life? Your family's living in Idaho. You got a hit mm-hmm. record on the radio. You're having a tour like mad. Mm-hmm. You have two kids at this point? Yep, two kids. So the good and the bad, what does it look like to have a hit song? The good is it provides uh, some a little bit more financial stability. Sure. And uh, it takes it takes that pressure off of like paycheck to paycheck mentality which lessens the stress in a home immensely. Yeah. Um, you know, we went from living off a of 401k and and being dirt poor and broke to well we can pay our bills now and like we're not super strapped. Like we yeah. can kind of be a little bit more comfortable and breathe. That's one thing that it means. Another thing that it means is it provides a good amount of residual opportunity to go out and keep playing concerts and to you know, when you have a big old massive hit song, other people want you on their tours too. Yeah, and so it provided all kind. It it sh- it it went from me having to us having to call and try to go play to me booked out over yeah. a year in advance. So you're play. Do, are you are you traveling more? Are you traveling the same amount? I mean, obviously the shows are different. Yeah, I'm are- traveling about the same amount of time. I do about a hundred shows a year. Okay, I stay pretty darn busy. Um, because that's, you know, really the majority of how we even live and survive is going out and playing live and being able to sell my CDs and merch and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's, it was definitely really hard living in the Pacific Northwest, but every tour that I've been on leaves Nashville. And it's not like Idaho is... And it's not like it's easy to get to. It's not like you're in L.A. It's not like a direct flight where you can just hop out there. It's like two flights, a full seven-hour day travel. So you have to to leave two days before the tour leaves. Mm -hmm. And it just just started to take such a toll on our family. Um, And my wife, I have no problem saying it. She's, She's so strong. She's a pillar. She's a rock. She's really the only reason that we can do this hmm. because she's just so secure and comfortable in her own skin about just being a mom and and this is our life and we've been through tons together anyway so yeah. this this is like not other than the fact that we're apart a significant amount of time isn't isn't catastrophic for us you know what i mean it's yeah. like well we just this is our life now and it's our new normal uh but after we were after this last season about a year ago, I remember I had been out on the road for 10 days. I, w- I was only I was only gone for like four days, and she calls me up. She's like, I don't know what's happening, but I've only been go- you've only been gone for four days, and I feel like you've been gone for a month, and I can't do it anymore. I'm not – I can't – like we just need to be together. We need to be a family, and I can't handle the you being gone for three, four weeks at a time anymore. Whatever we need to do, let's do it. I'm like, okay, I agree. And I never, ever wanted to push her into moving. I never wanted to drag my family across the country kicking and screaming until she was ready. And I felt like in my heart, when she's ready, then I'll know it's time. Yeah. Because I've always been ready, you know. Hmm. And so we miraculously, like the Lord just opened up this house that we found right in downtown Franklin, this cool little spot. cool. And we bought it like we got a... We got a home loan as a self-employed musician. <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot of things that don't make any sense. And the Lord just like kind of rolled out the red carpet for us to just come back here. Hmm. We got in, our kids got into an amazing school. And I've been coming out here uh, 
for the last seven years. So you've or got so. a community here, and I've got this built-into community that my family just kind of got absorbed right into. Oh, that's great! And it's just been it's been life changing. So for you've us. been out here how long now? Six months. So does it feel new? Does it feel like you just moved here? Uh, no, not to me. It does to my wife and kids a little bit, but yeah. I've lived here half time for the last five years or so. Yeah. So I just felt like, well, now that I don't have to go sleep on, you know, in Brian's guest room anymore. Like I'm just going home. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, man. So, I, but like, when did you even move? I mean, what was that situation yeah, like? Because I mean, you're traveling so much <clears throat> at this point. So you would have been in the middle of like hit record cycle. Totally. We, we had to be kind of strategic about when we did it. Um, our oldest was in kindergarten and we could have moved last December, but we didn't want to pull him out of school and start him over at a new school in January with it. You know, we were just like, so my wife and boys still lived out in Idaho and I had already bought in the house here in Franklin. So we had two homes. We're like, Hey, what are we going to do? We got to figure this out. So we waited it out until Keegan, my, my first grader, my kindergartner at the time when he was done, then we moved mm-hmm. and we started them all both over at a new school here in Franklin, yeah. sold the house in Idaho and just lock, stock and barrel transitioned right across the country. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So, and you have a new project that just came out yeah, a couple it, months ago. No, like ago? a week ago, a week ago, last weekend it came uh, out. Well, I listened to it this Friday. morning when I, I was out running and man, it's a great Thanks, record. Man. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So what's it like now? You've been making for a long time. You were making music. That you wanted to make and mm-hmm. hoping people were going to hear it. Mm-hmm. And now you know people are going to hear it. How does that change how you approach your music this time around? You know, I don't know that it... it To me, it doesn't change anything. Like, I always tell people what you see is what you get. If I even feel like I'm compromising... I'm weird this way. If I feel like I'm compromising on anything, I start to almost feel sick inside. Like I'm not being true. I'm not relying on the Lord to ultimately be my communicator. Like I don't want to sit around and try to finagle and cliche things up and and get it all like super crystal clear so that it'll be like right down this linear regurgitated line. Like I I pride myself in being somebody that's like, you know what, this is this is just how I say it. And yeah. and I and I see people resonate with that. So in one way I guess it's just almost made me, um, it hasn't changed me. It's just, it's, it's kind of allowed me to be just even a little bit more fearless. But the temptation is, is once you have a big thing, the temptation can be to, well, let's stay in that mold because that worked. Let's recreate that. And right after I, the storm, we had, I put out a song called the gospel which was a completely different song. So that came out as a single? As a single. I like that was my favorite song on the record. Thanks, man. I really like that. Was that. Our, that was what we followed up with Eye of the Storm with, which uh, the gospel actually went to number one on one chart, but we don't ever talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it went to number one on Inspo for two weeks. Oh, no. Like, yes, I technically have yes. two back-to-back number ones, <laughs> but it went to number three. Uh, so it was top five. It went to yeah. number three on you know, the big billboard AC charts. And it, it did. I mean, it was, it was just another massive thing for me. Um, and so like when we saw that one work as well, it just kind of, it, it, 
it kind of gave me a little bit of, of, of assurance in my heart of like, okay, I don't have to recreate the same thing every time we, mm. we can be different and we need to be different. We, it's, it's vital that we don't follow a formula. Well, and the fact that the big, that your first big hit was a song of you, you not trying to get a big hit totally is a, is a really helpful way to start. Yep. And, and I can, I, I can attest to the same exact thing with speak life. Like hmm. speak life was just something that was on my heart. And I just, I didn't even think about a radio program director hearing it or a radio promotions person shopping it out to radio. I just wrote a song that came from a disgusting church split and families being hmm. divided and gossip and poisonous rumors and bickering. Like that's what birthed speak life. So I wanted to talk about something real and show people because the Lord convicted me heavily, like, look at the power of your words. They mm. have life and death in them. And so it's, I guess it's just easy to encourage people at this point, man, especially, you know, songwriters and, and particularly pop songwriters, pop songs can be kind of different. They can be uh, tricky. You yeah. know, it seems like they're easy, they, but they they're look really easy until hard. you try to make them. Exactly. And I just, man, I would love to just encourage people to like be be fearless and say say what you need to say because it's typically those those are the things a song burst in the head this is my quote I'm just going to coin this a song burst in the head <laughs> will reach the head hmm. but a song burst in the heart will reach the heart and there's just there's something that happens when you approach it from your head or when you approach it from your heart. And I always try to write every song that I've ever like tried to come up with quick on the fly, just like, Oh, this sounds cool. And this is a dope melody. And it's kind of a cool, funny little quirky lyric doesn't do anything. But when I just get raw and I'm like almost weeping at my guitar and my piano, I'm just saying things from my gut. Those are the things that people believe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm going to I'm going to use that quote but I will give you <laughs> I will attribute you every time yeah. that is that's a good quote. Let's let's we'll end with this. Uh people come up to you or me thinking that it's you because we look very similar. Um and they, and they say, "Okay, you I've done a job for 10 15 years and I want to quit my job and go do whether it's music or be a novelist or a playwright or mm. whatever something creative, something different." What do you say to them? Because I imagine people come to you and they talk to you about that because your story is so unique. Totally. Um, I guess my my answer to that or my reply to that is don't, when the Lord has something that he has for you, you don't ever have to go bang down a door to go do it. He will orchestrate your circumstances to do it. And I learned my lesson the hard way early on when I would go out and bang on doors and ask people to let me in and like, oh man, I want to do this. And, and it was every time anything opened, it was like always this kind of lukewarm, minimal success where there was kind of like a flash of something cool there, but and nothing was ever felt right. It wasn't really until the point where I was just like, okay, Lord, whatever you want, uh, that he just began to orchestrate my circumstances. Like he is a mastermind brilliant crafter and orchestrator of our story and our circumstance. And I feel like when I feel like it's in the mundane phases of our life where we feel like nothing's happening, that he's drawing really close to us and pruning and purifying and 
and just walking alongside of us using those details of our lives in those in those seasons to really begin to shift us into the mainstream of the purposes that he has for us hmm. and for me that took eight years being a paramedic where i got to be kind of like david on the back side of the mountain where all my buddies were out getting record deals like guys that i came up with in college were all signed to major labels and they're stars and they're doing their thing and i'm in idaho being a paramedic and i'm missing out on my dream when in reality, this whole time, almost a decade, the Lord plucked me out of this spot, said, no, I'm going to I'm gonna keep you right here for the next little while. And we're going to walk and we're going to grow and we're going to grow up and you're going to experience some life and you're going to see people. You're going to get a really healthy perspective on life and what people actually go through. And then when it's time, I'm going to just go ahead and set you back over there. And so I... I guess it's just easy to encourage people. You don't have to go looking for it. If there's a dream in your heart, I feel like the Lord has placed those dreams there, but you need to align your dreams with his. Yeah. I feel that I know what you're saying. That aligning is important because I think it's easy to make an idol out of something totally, and worship something that we, you know, we don't think we're worshiping it, but we, we fixate on this is the thing I need and I want. And maybe that's, that's a skewed version mm-hmm. of the thing that maybe the Lord has really put on our hearts. Totally. And yeah. what what good father wouldn't want to give the best gifts to his kids? Mm. It, and and having two little boys has really changed my life because I want to give them amazing gifts because I love them, not because I want to use them. Yeah. You know. And <laughs> oh, that's so good. And so good. And so, but when my little boys run out ahead of me. And chomp off on something that they wanted that was like, oh, you're not going to like that. It's hard to watch, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like, but when they're just patient and they wait for daddy to give them what I've had behind my back, it's glorious. Mm. And so I guess that's just my encouragement to people. What the Lord has behind his back for you is way better than anything that we're going to go try to chase down on our own. But we just have to wait for him. Mm. That's good, man. That's good. Thank you so much for coming by. Of course, man. (laughs) Oh, that's good, isn't it? Songs from the head speak to the head. Songs from the heart speak to the heart. I love that. I am definitely stealing that. Um, Ryan, thank you so much. It was a real treat getting to spend this time together. And I really got a lot out of this conversation, and I'm sure our listeners did too. Uh, For those of you listening, thank you so much. For more information about Ryan, you can find that at ryanstevensonmusic.com and on Instagram and Twitter, all the socials, at ryanssmusic. Also want to say thanks again to our sponsors, the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work, nifw.org, and the Global Counseling Network, globalcounselingnetwork.com. Um, of course, if you want to know more about me or this podcast, andrewosenga.com, everybodypivots.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Can't wait for next week's episode. Uh, until then, go do something awesome. Mm-hmm.